Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Spencer and Akram from SGP Media. Guys, just fill them in, let, let them know who you are and what you guys do. Yeah, thanks for bringing us on, Mike. We're, we're excited for today. And uh, SGP Media stands for Strategic Growth Partners. So what we're focused on is we have 10 accounts. We partner with specifically 10 brands that sell high ticket, high profit margin products or services, usually digitally based. So info products, education companies, et cetera. And as long as they have a solid sales team, we can help them scale up and literally increase their revenue within 60 to 90 days, sometimes doubling it within that time. So that's what we do. And there's lots of ways that we do that, but that's what this podcast is about. So we're going to get into it, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. And- so we appreciate you, Mike, having us on as well. Um, my name is Akram, one of the co-founders as well here with Spencer and yeah, just like Spencer said, we work with digital brands and help scale some high ticket offers and focus on everything that helps them drive more revenue to their business. Well, then let's dive in, you know, start explaining it. Cause I'm sure, you know, that was, that was a great hook. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. how do you go about it? What, you know, uh, let's, let's start at the beginning. So you go and find these brands yourself or do they come to you? How does that work? So that's a great question. We typically only partner with only 10 accounts or less. So 10 brands or less at any given time. And, you know, right now we're about at eight. So we got a couple left. Um, all of those have come to us either through word of mouth or referrals or just existing relationships that we had. Um, normally what we're looking to do here as we scale and grow is obviously replace the bottom accounts that may not be performing as well in which obviously, you know, there's different ways we'll go about that, whether the brands come to us or we'll go to them. Um, you know, that's still being worked out and we'll find, we'll, we'll define that process in a little bit, but nonetheless, um, yeah, that's really exactly what we do is, is really focus on these high ticket, high profit margin businesses and make sure that they have everything required for us to work with them. Uh, Spencer, is there anything else, you know, you want to add about where these clients come from, what we look for, stuff like that? Yeah. So to be honest with you, um, it's very common in the space, especially like the coaching space, if you will, where it seems like everyone has like a product or service and that's fantastic. But a lot of the times what we experience and the reason we only work with 10 accounts is we take a look at the back end of a business and we want to shut the lid pretty quickly because we're like, all right, you need some help back here. (laughs) Right. And there's lots of ways that you could go about that, but we see a lot of weaknesses when it comes to having processes. And I think, I think people build, you know, tactics, they learn tactics, like they'll learn Facebook ads or Instagram ads, um, or how to get traffic, you know, from cold DMS or joining a Facebook group. But at the end of the day, the unfortunate part about that is if that goes away an algorithm changes or something happens, do you have a machine, a motor to the company so that you can pivot? And so the companies that we look for and that we work with specifically, we're typically looking to make sure they have the core motor, you know, maybe their alternator could use a little tune up, but uh, for the most part, they have all the machinery in place and we can come in and just pour jet fuel on the fire. That's kind of what we're looking for, but it doesn't always happen. So we see a lot of brands who need a little help in the sales department. And because we're strategic growth partners, we're not just marketers, we're not just advertisers, we actually come in and we will actually consult them and help them pass along, you know, knowledge and skills into their teams, existing teams or systems so that 
they can grow and scale those other departments of the business that sometimes really are required to actually make more money. Because to be honest with you, we could book out a full calendar. We could generate a lot of appointments or a lot of sales for a company, but what if they can't deliver? What if they get overwhelmed? What if they don't know what to do next? Well, that's why given you know our years of experience in this industry and the background that we have, as well as the resources and the people that we're connected to as well, and that we work with on a day-to-day basis, we essentially can help guide them because we've already seen it. Chances are, if you have a problem in the business, we've probably already seen it. We've seen multiple solutions. And like a doctor, we can come in, diagnose very quickly, and then kind of guide you to where you need to go while we're doing our thing too. So that's why we call ourselves SGP Media, Strategic Growth Partners, not just strategic growth marketers or something like that. Right, right. Awesome. And then, okay, so when did you guys start this? So we started about, we started about six months ago prior to this. Um, I've been in the agency space for three, four years now. Spencer's been in the game for, you know, upwards of seven, eight years. And we had previous agencies where we were focused on the volume game. And we witnessed a lot of the stuff that we talk about, you know, and we'll talk about in this podcast too, is, is as you play the volume game and you get more accounts, we realize like it's inevitable that your delivery will suffer at a certain point, you know, whether some of your top media buyers end up leaving and then those accounts, you know, you can't find someone who's just as good to replace them or whatever it is, because the incentive is only there for you to bring on more accounts. You're not making more money per account, regardless of the results. So um, we kind of, I, me personally, at least stopped feeling fulfilled with that style agency, working with a lot of realtors, for example, and it wasn't just something I wanted to do. I wanted to build, you know, brands that were interesting and had meaning and, you know, actually solve the problem in the marketplace. And so we ended up, uh, ironically, actually meeting at a mastermind with our mentor, Jeremy down in Miami, Florida, um, at Jeremy on Instagram, legendary marketer, but. We ended up meeting there and realizing, you know, we were down the road from each other and we were going through a lot of similar stuff at the same time. Um, and so we were kind of like, you know what, we're building the same vision. Let's just unite forces and we'll do it 10 times better. And that's exactly kind of how SGP started. And, and six months later, you know, we're crushing it for our clients and as a company, as a whole, we've just been growing exponentially fast. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, shout out to, to Jeremy. I'm familiar with, with him and unfortunately I haven't had the uh, opportunity to work with him yet. Uh, but he's actually, he is my mentor's mentor. Um, and he, his profile had just recently reached out to me on Instagram to get me into cryptocurrency and, you know, lo and behold, it was just a scammer, but anyway, (laughs) so awesome. So, and what are your future plans with the company? Where do you see yourself in say five years, 10 years? Uh, you know, are you, are you sitting on top and, and automating everything and building a team to, to work it for you or, you know, what's your goals? Yeah. Great, great question. Um, <laughs> so we're actually really excited because we have this pretty much all planned out, um, as to where we're headed and why. And so there's multiple people that we want to serve. So I hope this applies directly to your audience. I think it will. Um, What we're looking at is we have a a process, right, that we've kind of coined. We showed it to you before. And at some point in this podcast, we'll probably share a screen and 
and uh, show it you know, for your viewers so that they can benefit from this because we found and created a little basic triangular process that literally can help any business at any scale and literally no matter where you are in the process, this can benefit your business. So we want to take that and we've actually built SGP around that and combine that with our marketing and our focus. And here's what we're going to do. So we have 10 accounts, right? And we're going to max those out. Always rotating out, like Akram said earlier, the bottom accounts. And typically the issue is not on the marketing side. Typically it's on the business side. It's the CEO, it's the owner, it's the founder who becomes the main bottleneck, just like anything. And you know, we can tell them what to do. We can give them all the guidance. We can plug resources all day long, but sometimes there are just people who are not willing or don't have the capacity to do what it is that needs to be done in order to actually get there faster. Um, so unfortunately at some point, you know, we just have to look at them and say, Hey, uh, we're going to refund you this last month and, and send you on your way and introduce you to someone, you know, that might be able to service you. Um, because at this point in time, we have, we have bigger and better things that we got to move on to and we want to take care of you. You know, we're going to keep the relationship. However, we got to pass you off to someone we trust so that we can keep our forward momentum. So we're going to take these 10 accounts, max them out, keep rotating out the bottoms and just go bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We've already worked with some really cool brands. Um, not everyone's the biggest fan of this guy, but we've worked with Dan Locke, uh, spending about $50,000 a month on YouTube ads. He's a character. Uh, Jeremy calls him the Chinese James Bond. So yes. he, he's kind of, uh, you know, love him or hate him. He's a hilarious guy. Um, real fun to work with his team selling high ticket masterminds and stuff. And we've helped a bunch of other companies. One other company, I'm not going to mention the name right now um, because they have actually some legal issues they're dealing with. So I want to protect their name. Uh, but we helped him go from 30K a month to 830K a month in a year and a half. So that's a $360,000 a year business to $10 million in a year and a half. That was a mind blowing case study, a lot of fun. And so we've worked with all different types of companies. And so here's what happens next. We're gonna max these out. And eventually what we're gonna do is with some of these companies, we wanna exit. So we already have equity in a few of these companies and we actually plan and to align our incentives and the founders have already agreed on this. We just haven't put it in paper um, for about half of them, but we're gonna put it in paper where we're going to help them get to their exit goal because most businesses that do want to exit, they often don't have the right partners to help them do that. And so we're on the marketing sales side. We can help guide that process, help a bunch of these companies exit at a much bigger multiple than they could have otherwise alone. And we all get a piece of the upside and they have a partnership that's external, right? That can help them do that. And so we're really excited about that in the near future. And about five years down the line, within that time, we will have a mastermind um, that's going to be called Strategic Growth Alliance. We're already putting the foundation together for that, where we're going to bring together very quality people focused on high ticket, focused on building out communities because, and we'll talk about this later, data surpassed oil in terms of value in 2017. So most people that are not keeping their eye on the prize right now don't know that we go to war over oil. What will we do over data? What will happen right. based on data? And data and communities are the biggest thing right now. And so that's what we want to build. And we want to partner with people who want to build that in different niches, build communities, build data. And that's where the profit is. That's what allows you to sell a company. And uh, so that's what's on the horizon for us. And I can imagine, I mean, you're getting into this at the, the right time because uh, I can't remember exact what the exact numbers are, but I know in mergers and acquisitions uh, space, 
everyone's looking for the next big thing. And, you know, right now, a lot of people are, are focusing on brick and mortar stores, uh, businesses, but the new thing is digital media or, or companies such as they, you're working with. If you can get them to, to scale to a, you know, they're making a certain amount per month, per year, you know, so an investor comes in and say, okay, I'll buy it. Sure. Let's go. Um, so yeah, that, that is an awesome plan. <laughs> exactly. And, the, the agency, go, go the, the agency kind of like the way it's being built is think of it like angel investors or even a merger acquisition company. But instead of us deploying liquid capital into these businesses, we just negotiate a contract where, you know, we're coming in to essentially partner up and we will take a percentage of the upside. And instead of giving them liquid capital, we're giving them all the resources, the how to um, and actually help guiding the process of scaling. So, you know, an investor can give you a ton of money, but if you don't have the right partner to use that money properly, then you could screw your business over and end up in a ton of debt rather than us come in and, and partner together and we help drive you more revenue. And then we just capitalize on the profit share portion there. Absolutely. And unless you guys have anything else to add, I would say right now is the perfect time. If you want to share your screen and, and really dive into, uh, I'm really excited to get into the, what exactly did you call it? The, the triangle? Yep. So this is the offer triangle. Offer triangle. And so this, this is fun. Um, you know, we could get this document to anyone who's watching. If you guys would like to, to view it, we have a bunch of nice sections here where we actually go through building this out and we'll explain here in about 30 seconds but you'll notice there's three main pillars right the audience the offer and the messaging and you'll see on the left side here right you have the audience the offer and the messaging and this document is designed to literally help you identify these items but first let's talk about the benefits right like why why even care about that in the first place well the offer triangle what this is meant to do is it's almost like your north star it's a compass okay and it helps you triangulate the truth here and the truth is that most people believe that they understand their audience at a super deep level. But the way that we know that that's not always true, or it could be better, you could get to know someone better almost always, right? Is the fact that most offers are not actually built on the ideal transformation for that audience. And so what ends up happening is someone sees a market, someone has an offer, okay? And that offer could be lose 30 pounds in 60 days or 30 days, right? That's an ideal transformation. But if you're talking to the wrong person, maybe he's skinny, right? And he doesn't want to lose 30 pounds in 30 days. You don't know your audience. And so if you don't know your audience, you're probably building the wrong transformation for that audience. And therefore you actually don't know the language because if you don't know your audience, you don't know the pain and pleasure motivators. You don't know the right. language of your customer, right? Um, so that's what the offer triangle is. And Akram, you wanna jump in on this? I have a feeling you have something really good to add. Yeah, um, I mean, really deep down, like Spencer said, what we've really noticed is that if any one of these pieces is missing, um, it typically will not revolve around the marketing team or the sales team, which a lot of businesses actually, you know, skip over this and they'll think like, oh, I have a marketing problem or I have a sales problem and Really, you know, just the other day, for example, I had a, a potential prospect come to me. A buddy of mine works as a closer for this woman and kind of came to me and was like, dude, like we just need to turn up the lead flow. We need to make more sales. And as I start asking him a few questions about their audience and their offer, 
um, it's very clear that the reason why they're not scaling, the reason why they're not bringing in more leads, more traffic, uh, making sales and converting is because they don't know their audience and they don't know the offer. And so therefore all of the content and even the marketing team they've hired can't do a good job because the messaging's off. So no matter how good that marketer is that they've hired and, and been working with, it literally doesn't matter because the content they're putting out and the messaging they're speaking and even down to the copy on the funnel, it's all off. So, you know, I told them one thing, if you try to speak to everyone, you end up speaking to no one. And so that's a really uh, key concept here and why we kind of turn everything back to the offer triangle, because at the end of the day, it's the simplest, fastest way to identify bottlenecks in your business is really dive deep on who your audience is, who your offer is. Am I actually providing the ideal transformation for that specific audience? And am I speaking the language of that customer? Am I, am I agitating their pain and pleasure motivators? Am I, you know, enticing them to take action by speaking the language that they need to hear in order to actually, you know, buy what it is that I'm offering. So yeah, this is just kind of a, a really good document that we've kind of kept exclusive from the public. Um, it's pretty much like an ebook guide on just kind of how to leverage this tool to identify bottlenecks in your business and scale. And it's really just transformed so many businesses before we actually do anything with a client, we will dive deep and have a couple workshops on this offer triangle. Essentially first one being is the audience before we do anything with a client, we actually start with an audience workshop where we really just dive so deep, deeper than you could ever imagine, you know, various questions and worksheets that we have to actually help you curate who your exact uh, audience is that you're trying to serve, what pain and pleasure motivators they have. And that helps us come up with the ideal transformation that they need, which then becomes our second workshop. Typically when we work with a client is the second workshop is developing your irresistible offer. And we have another document that we kind of run them through to help craft the most ideal transformation. By the end of that, we actually have an x-ray vision on the company where we can actually then go develop a marketing campaign. So we won't even talk marketing. We won't even talk paid ads. We won't talk strategy until these uh, three elements are super crystal clear. Cause then we can see where the bottleneck is and then kind of navigate the water on what we need to do to scale. Cause the end of the day, it may not even be paid ads. It may be, you know, something totally different, but it, the only way we can actually identify that is by running through the offer triangle with every single client. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is the second time I'm seeing it and it's still just as impressive as the first time. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know how, how you guys feel about it, but is this something that you're, you know, Spencer, you said that you would want to offer this to anyone listening if they had interest in it. Um, so we can leave that in the, the link uh, when this podcast gets posted. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that afterwards. But um, okay, so then let, let's get off uh, this topic a little bit and just go um, just more of interest and change things up a bit. Akram, I know you have a really awesome car that I've been dying to, to ask about. Um, so, you know, to the average eye, I know it might seem just like your, your average, uh, Audi, but, um, yours is special in the, the color and everything under the hood. Correct. That is correct. Yeah. 
She is also potentially going up for sale here in the next uh, month or so. Really? <laughs> yeah, I, I always told myself, you know, I'd never be able to get rid of it. It's a one of one. Uh, I know it's just for the average person you hear of an Audi S5, but truly it's one of the last in the Misano Red Pearl color, which is Audi's signature factory color. And uh, it's one of one, red on black, carbon fiber package, you know, uh, manual as well. That's what makes it super rare. Um, and it's built on the 3.0 supercharged platform. So uh, really, really good in terms of building on, actually much better than building on the next tier up from that same vehicle, which is your Audi RS5. Uh, typically those are super refined and you can't modify them much. So yeah, I picked this thing up. It was a miracle kind of how I found it before the market went crazy. And I've kind of picked it up, dumped about 10, 15 grand into it. And this thing rips like your average supercar. Uh, we go on Canyon cruises all the time with supercars and around the corners, around the canyons, you know, this thing is about just as fast as a lot of supercars out there. Um, obviously once you go into a straight line, it's, it's not as crazy as some of those supercars, but it's crazy the the amount of power that you can get out of a car like that. It's it's been super fun. And Spencer was telling me that you know you have uh, a lot of masterminds in your area. So when people fly out or, or rather drive out, I guess they have their supercars out there and they all take them cruising. And he said that he was with you a couple times where you know you're keeping up with some Lambos and uh, what was it McLarens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's there they happen pretty frequently here. You know, Utah is such an epic uh, supercar scene. Um, one of the reasons being is uh, Utah's home of the Stradman at, at Stradman on YouTube, um, and he has some insane cars. And you know, he's been one of the people in the car community that's just been you know there from day one. Super genuine guy, super cool amazing cool cars and so he comes out on some of these drives but yeah i mean going around corners you know a lot of 911 turbo s's that are modified keep up with just about you know a lot of those cars so it's definitely a sleeper and it definitely bothers people when they see a car <laughs> you know quarter of the price is their half a million dollar car and and whatever they've dumped into it you know something that's a fraction of the price keeping up definitely right <laughs> right. And, uh, and so Spencer, so give us a little bit, you know, I'm just trying to round you guys out and, you know, give our, our audience a little background on you guys. I know you've been kind of in, in marketing for what, eight years now, but, um, you know, I, I don't know if you told me this or if I, I read that you had gone off and created your own company and made all this money. Um, and then kind of just what you went surfing and, and went off the grid for a long time and then finally came back and now you're doing great things again, obviously. So give us a little background on that. Yeah. So, um, I have had a lot of fun. I've been super fortunate, um, to have a really cool story. And at 20 years old, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I'm 30 right now. I had no clue what I wanted to do, but I knew one thing and it was, I wanted to get out of my hometown. So I left, I decided to move to Alaska. So I went from California, a little town in California, um, just outside of LA, and I booked a one-way ticket up to Alaska, Homer, Alaska, population about 4,000 people, completely different from the, you know, the town I came from. <laughs> and I had the adventure of a lifetime. I met a National Geographic 
uh, a photographer guy who lived up there and owned a bunch of land up in the mountains. He flew a little biplane that lands on water and he would take me up into these mountains and we'd land on lakes. He'd drop me off at a lodge in the mountains for weeks at a time. And I had the most unreal uh, experience just before my 21st birthday. And then moved back after six months, had a great time, but uh, the snow hit and it was pretty intense up there. So <laughs> I, I decided to leave and that kind of, that planted the travel bug in me. And yeah, I started another agency around 23. And uh, that I was able to run that while traveling the world. So I've been to about 20 countries. There's a lot of countries in the world. There's about almost 200, it's about 196. 197. So I've been to about 10% of them. The goal is to get to as close to 100% as possible, but we'll see how that goes. And yeah, was able to run an agency the whole time, surf all over the place. I learned surfing in Hawaii when I moved out there. We've done most of Southeast Asia. I've done a lot of Indonesia, Europe, you know, and uh, a lot of North America as well. So very fortunate and, and super exciting. That's awesome. And then of course, obviously your, your story. So you come from that background and then Akram, you're, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're only 20, 21, correct? Yeah, my 21st birthday is actually in July. Oh, okay. <laughs> Happy birthday, early birthday. Um, so you guys just met at this mastermind in Florida. It was just, you had no contact with each other before that and you just met and decided, hey, let's do something awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely very fortunate and humbled to have been a part of that mastermind in the first place so shout out jeremy if you ever see this but uh um long story short you know i worked from such a young age jeremy was one of my first mentors and i've always been wanted to be part of the inner circle with him and uh the other amazing guys there and man that was something that i got into when i was about 18 years old and really changed my life at the time I had just walked away from my nine to five went all in on the first agency we were building um and really quickly just like learned everything that i shouldn't be doing you know how i should switch things around and what ended up happening is kind of realized right after i met jeremy that i came home and i didn't want what i was building um i'll never forget like one of the first things he told me when i was uh getting started and and getting mentored by him is your what I was building. He told me I was building on a foundation of sand. So came right. home, um, realized it wasn't really fulfilling. It wasn't really, you know, scalable. It was just so much volume, so much churn and burn, you know, the scale and delegate model where, you know, we had upwards of 10 staff, you know, had salespeople all around Colombia, Philippines, multiple VAs, uh, couple in the states as well and it was just not profitable so much stress so many people to manage and barely seeing any of the money at the end of the day so came home um took some time off you know hit my 20th birthday spent a lot of time in nature had a lot of inner work to do and then me and spencer kind of just met started like a friendship you know hiking and going out into nature together talking business and before we realized we were just starting to like brainstorm a couple ideas together and eventually just turned into like, I remember one day sitting in my room, just brainstorming, you know, new brand names on a whiteboard. And one of them was strategic growth partners. And you know, a few days went by, we were trying to figure out a different name and we we're like, dude, this is the best name, you know, the best company that we're going to build together. So rest is history. And yeah, 
that that's awesome. <laughs> so wow, okay. So if you if you don't mind me asking, uh, you know, not even being twenty one yet, where as far as finances, like you went from nine to five, you know, just getting by, I'm sure just paying your bills to now you're living the life, right? <laughs> yeah, actually a, a kind of a crazy story and I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Um, might as well kind of share this, you know, <laughs> I never actually really shared this to the open public. So for anyone hearing this, uh, don't, don't think that, you know, past perception forms your current self, but in high school, um, kind of grew up in like a suburb outside of Boston, you know, a lot of, you know, troubled kids in surrounding cities, a lot of issues going on. And I was privileged enough to be in a little bit safer town, good education. Um, but I grew up chasing division one football and okay. obviously a lot of money was required in training and coaching. And my parents came from a, you know, average middle class. My mom didn't really work, just my dad. So no extra money to even fund anything really. And I learned how to kind of an entrepreneur from day one, um, was mowing lawns, was doing anything you could imagine. And my later years in high school, uh, actually got into selling a lot of wheat. So that was <laughs> really, uh, the best thing the whole time, you know, going through it, I was lying to my parents, you know, hiding things from my friends and, at the end of the day, I was making a ton of money, you know, upwards of 10, 20, $30,000 a month as a 16 year old, but always felt, you know, not at peace inside of me, uh, was a good student, a good football player. And so some things just didn't align, but nonetheless, like everything happens for a reason that ended up funding me to get out here. Um, and so at the end of the day, I was always good at sales. I knew how to sell. I knew how to kind of be self-managed and I got into selling cars. First, I was working at Apple very briefly, but I got into selling cars and within the first year, uh, shattered a lot of records at the dealership and became one of the top salesmen, one of the youngest to actually hit what they have is called the president's club. Um, hit that within the first 12 months I was working there during the pandemic as well. And I had to walk away. I ended up walking away from that. So I went from actually making over six figures as an 18, 19 year old to taking a risk to where I was making nothing guaranteed. And so it was actually kind of crazy. It's kind of why I backed up a bit. I went from actually having more money than, you know, my dad, even at certain points, making more than my dad was as a solo, you know, 18 year old, very low expenses to literally making nothing, you know, floating off, living on my crypto, living off of my stock investments, living off credit, really just leveraging every resource that I could in order to continue my education, continue uh, mentorships, you know, communities, scaling the agency. And so kind of a crazy ride. Um, but yeah, looking back, I could never think of any other way it would have went. Uh, I don't think that I actually left my nine to five. I had gotten sick and I had no more paid time off. And that was like a sign from the universe. You know, I either had to quit and go all in on my business and, or continue kind of walking that fine line of never being, you know, fully free. And I ended up walking away that month. We went from doing under 10 K to doing like 30 K a month, um, instantly after quitting and, 
scaled to a point where, you know, money wasn't the biggest issue anymore. Then it kind of shut down, went through some tougher times, started building this company again. And, and here we are now where, you know, I've never thought about any other, you know, worries. It's really just been a lot of freedom, free thinking, you know, free flowing, whatever I want to do on a daily basis. It's just like, obviously at the end of the day, I have a lot of work and growth to continue doing, but there's nothing better than, you know, the feeling of waking up and being able to go for a bike ride up the canyon or, you know, waking up, not feeling like you uh, want to get to work right away. So you end up going to the gym or going to a coffee with a buddy and come home, you know, you dictate your own schedule. Out of a lot of my friends who I grew up with, I think, you know, there's not many other people that enjoy that freedom. So I'm definitely grateful and, and humbled to have met all the right people at the right time to get me to where I am. But definitely been a fun journey, short-lived because I'm pretty young, but I definitely feel like I've been on this earth for like 30 years or so. <laughs> right. So I got to ask, what what is your, you know, obviously finances isn't everything, um, but financial goal, you know, by the time you're at retiring age, whether that's 30 for you, 40, you know, I know for myself, like it doesn't matter how much money I make, I can never stop doing something that I, I love doing. So, but what's that number for you? What are you trying to hit? Yeah. So I, um, my near future goal I've set as like $5 million is what I call escape velocity. Once you hit $5 million, I feel like you can technically live off of an average American salary or a six figure salary the rest of your life without ever having to worry about anything. Um, me personally though, by the time I want to be 30 years old, so 10 years from now, giving myself like a target of a hundred million. Um, and I don't know why I set out on that number, but I just feel like that number is very achievable. Um, obviously going to require a lot of work to get to the first 10 million. But I think once I hit that 10 million mark, you know, a hundred million is just game of 10 X. Yes. Um, I've kind of run some math, run some numbers on, you know, what it takes to acquire, you know, yachts and private jets and all the <laughs> toys and, you know, hitting several billion dollars. A lot of people picture that as like their number one life motivator. The only reason I would ever want to accrue certain wealth like that is my main goal of why I actually do everything. Might as well explain this now. Um, I come from the Middle East. My parents have a lot of family. I was talking with Spencer about this the other day pretty deeply. Have a lot of family that's been affected by the war in Syria. You know, lost some family members. Some family members are scattered all over the world now, refugees, etc. So that's affected me knowing that I grew up as a little kid in, in Boston was so much more fortunate than all of my other cousins who were overseas um, living through a war. And so that's really the number one motivator I have is being able to take care of anyone that's been affected by that war and, and obviously other areas of humanity that are also affected by similar issues. So definitely work hard. The only reason I'd want to accrue billions of dollars, like I said, is to actually fix a couple issues in the world, you know, be able to give back and, and solve a bigger issue. Because at the end of the day, it's not all about the materials. It's really what's the legacy left behind. And exactly. so the more wealth I build, the more I'm able to impact the world and the more I'm able to give back. Um, but me personally, you know, a couple million dollars, I'll have the nice house, I'll have a couple supercars, 
I'll be able to charter a yacht or jet whenever I need to, but it's really not about that. It's really about, you know, what am I leaving behind and what am I doing for others? And that's really what I'm after. All the fun toys is just a byproduct of, you know, having created that much value in the world. Right. And I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Dan Pena, um, big in mergers and acquisitions. Yep. You know, everyone that he brings in, you know, they're all like, well, it's not about the money. He's like, I know it's, it's not all about the money. Absolutely. He's like, but if you, you guys all want to do good and you, go, you guys want to change the world and the issues in the world, well, you have to have money to be able to do that. And um, so as selfish as it might seem, you know, when people ask you like, well, you're doing this for the money. No, I'm not. I'm doing it for right now. I'm doing it for the money. So that way I can turn around and put that back into, you know, changing the world, making a better place. So, yeah. They say it's not all about the money, but at the end of the day, it is about the fucking money. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have the money, what are you going to do? So, exactly. you know, Jeremy always preaches get richer. That's something that's stuck with me because it's a tool. It's it's not that I want all this money for myself. It's right. I want money to be able to go change the world and do bigger, better things with it. So it really just depends on what's your intention behind all that money. If you chase the money, I don't think you'll ever actually make a ton of money. But if you chase actual purpose and value, um, I'm sure you'll make a ton of money in your life. So me, I just focus my energy on helping businesses in the near future right now, helping businesses and then helping humanity as a whole once I get to that point. So it's kind of the two phases of my life. Right. And I'm going to turn the same question over to Spencer. Uh, where do you see yourself? Like, what's your goals? And, and you know, obviously that was an awesome explanation from Akram, but... What's your take on it? <laughs> yeah, so very similar. Um, I've, you know, I've done a lot of math over the last decade plus on what I would need to live. And one, one really good exercise to do uh, that's honestly life-changing for most people because most people have never done this is actually write out every expense like for a week, for a month that you want to have in your life. So if it's a massage a week, if it's, you know, taking care of other people, include all of it, actually run some numbers, like do some Google searching, look around, find some average pricing and do the math on what it would cost to sustain that lifestyle. Right. And then you now know a number that's a target where you can hit all those boxes, check everything off the list. And that includes helping people that includes helping your family, taking care of your future family if you don't have one. Right. And so when you take all that into account, my number was about $42,000 a month would be expenses alone to just contribute in the ways that I would want to contribute. And so when you do the math on that and then you backtrack, if you ever want to get into a somewhat passive position, I mean, you got to, you got to do the math, assuming that you can make that amount of money based on a 10% right return on whatever lump sum you've invested into a bunch of different assets. So when right. you do that math, it's like a big number. It's like mine came out to like $165 million. But the thing is, although I put that as a target, one thing that I've learned over the last year is that when we put targets out there, sometimes we subconsciously attach ourselves and our value to that. And if we're not getting to that point fast enough, or if we don't think we're going to get there at all at some point, um, then oftentimes that value within us, unfortunately, you kind of turns a little dark. Like I had a, I had a period about eight months ago, I went through a super dark period. You know, I had a seven year beautiful relationship that ended. We traveled the world together. We had so much fun and it ended very well too. There was nothing bad. 
it was just one day we woke up and looked at each other and said, I think, I think this is where we split ways. And for some reason that feels more powerful. And we both agreed and we hugged and we cried and we did all that. And I went through a very interesting period after that because I had a human next to me that was incredible for seven years. And so I didn't think about dating. I didn't think about all these other things, right? And so I went through this funky three to four month dark period where I was just concerned about finances and concerned about, you know, everything in my life, like thinking about future family and where I want to be financially and this massive target that I set. And I had just turned 30. In fact, I hadn't turned 30 yet. I was about to turn 30. So I was thinking about 30. I was thinking about, you know, an end of relationship. Am am I going to get married? Am I going to have kids? Do I even care about these things, right? Like where do these lie on the value ladder of what I perceive to be important in my own life? And it, it was like a reorganization of everything, like my spirit, my soul, my perceptions, everything. And what I realized was, is that in this journey to make all this money, I had, even though I knew I'd read all the books, I've listened to all the guys say it, right? Who have hundreds of millions of dollars and have spent a lot of time around super, super wealthy people. That's a, that's a story for another time, but my ex was an au pair to a couple billionaires and guys worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And we'd work into the contract, they would fly me out. And so I'd hang out with these people on mega yachts and helicopters and jets. And like, it was mind blowing to me to be like living in a movie like that. But what I saw on the back end, there was a lot of truth to what people say, you know, it doesn't make you happy. No matter what, you're still stuck with yourself. Right. And I woke up, you know, eight, nine months ago, stuck with myself, even though I've created all these things in my life and done all this stuff. And it was a very interesting experience. And uh, so anyway, when I say $165 million, I'm not dead set on that. I don't care at the end of the day. I set it as a target, just like I would set working out three to five times a week as a target. If I miss a day, am I going to hate myself? Absolutely not, because I care about how I feel. I care about how I wake up and my perception of myself. And that's something that I had to learn. So $165 million is the number. But I'm not emotionally tied to that. If it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, great. I freaking love myself. I love other humans. I'm having a ton of fun and I want to stay creative and I want to stay focused on relationships and the things that actually matter. Because at the end of the day, there's a saying from Byron Katie that I love. And it's, if you argue with reality, you lose, but only a hundred percent of the time. And I love that because a lot of the times if we're not hitting our target fast enough, you know, or something isn't going our way, business is gnarly, right? Getting into business is is not for everyone. If I knew what I'd have to go through the last 10 years trying to figure this stuff out, if, if I could have downloaded that into my brain, I don't know if the person that I was back then could have sustained the path. Right. Right. So have you had some of those experiences, Mike? Yes. Uh, so, I mean, my story, I think we touched on it, you know, in a previous conversation, but I was kind of thrown into this, you know, like Akram, you said that, you know, there was a point where you didn't have any more paid time off. So you, it was either quit or, you know, figure something out. Um, where I started, I kind of got thrown into this because I knew I, I have a, a an issue working for other people when they, you know, like you said, you come into these businesses and something's off and a lot of, business owners don't want to hear it. And so I worked for a company that everything was off. They, you know, they made tons of money, but the whole way things worked were off and I would raise my voice and they would get punished for it. 
So I actually got really sick, um, actually got COVID. Um, I was out for a long time and I started contemplating, um, like, why, what am I doing with my life? You know, I had all these goals, these aspirations that I wanted to do. There was, you know, there's no possible way that if I stay in this position that I'll be able to afford everything that I wanted, that I'll be able to do everything that I want to travel, meet people and, and stuff like that. Um, so I, I got better. It was about six weeks. I went back to work and I ended up getting, I was hung over from a party that I was at. I called out sick. Um, wasn't a big deal. And the nurse forgot to tell my manager, long story short, they tried to say that I lied about having COVID again and the test came back negative and then they ended up firing me for it. I had a hearing, um, I went to the hearing and I basically went in and said, hey, look, this is a sign. If they still try to fire me or if they fire me today, then I'm just gonna take it and run with it and say, you know what? I did everything right. I didn't do anything you know, shady or anything. So um, that's what happened. I ended up losing my job and I was like, okay, well, I have unemployment for about nine months and I want to try this out. I want to, you know, online marketing or online um, businesses are a big thing. I got into that and I will say everyone makes it seem so easy. Everyone. Now they, they obviously do that for marketing, you know, purposes and, and getting you into the program, but the journey was, uh, it, it was intense. I don't think that, like you said, if you could download all everything that you have to go through and then tell that person that you were when you started not knowing what you're getting into to look ahead and see the, the hardships that you go through. It's just, yeah, there's no way I would have been like, okay, I'm going to be a, a perfect worker and I'm you know, not going to mess anything up. But at the end of the day, I mean, I do all of my work from my laptop. So I'm home all the time. I get to enjoy my family. I get to enjoy going out on the weekends. If friends want, you know, have a party or something, go out. I can go, like you're saying in the morning, go get a cup of coffee. Just the, the freedom, even if, even in the beginning, when you're not making any money, just the freedom to, to know that you can, you're your own boss. So obviously you have to stay accountable and you have to stay, you know, on, on top of everything that you're doing. Um, but just to be able to like, you know what? I need 15 minutes and you go out and you just do whatever you got to do or go work out or go. There's something about it that's just irreplaceable. You, if you're working a nine to five and, and for those listening that are, maybe that's your, your calling in life. I, I don't, you know, whatever. Um, but for those that have started their business and have dealt with all these hardships, it's insane. There's nothing harder than starting a business. But on, on the, the end of it, the back end of it is just, it's beautiful. <laughs> so true. I, I agree with you. You know, there was something that, that I was thinking of is, is essentially like just that freedom. Once you, once you feel it, once you taste it, like how can you ever go back? And so a lot of time, you know, there's going to be that frustration, that fear. But at the end of the day, the two questions is like, do you ever want to be told what to do or do you want to kind of figure it out on your own and, and make it happen? So if you always just stick with figuring it out, then you'll never have to go back to being told what you're going to do. So right. uh, what just just kind of a question for you, like along the journey, what was one of the hardest things that you kind of faced? Um, it would definitely be, well, so I would say finances, uh, going down to 67 cents in my bank account. 
uh, barely living, you know, could barely pay the bills, uh, obviously. And then having everyone, family, friends, just kind of like, dude, what are you doing? You know, go get a job, go get, I, you know, there was several, several times where I've had people come up with like, dude, I will, I literally found a job for you. It pays this much money. Like here, just go. And I'm like, no, I can't. Like, why not? I, I can't do it. And, you know, I kept this to myself for a long time. Several people know, but when I left my job of, of five years working in that warehouse, I said, you know, once I got a um, pretty good idea of what it was going to take to be successful in business, I vowed to myself, I'm like, I'm never going back to work for anybody else. I mean, that being said, I will do a job here and there for someone, but I'm never committing to a contract. I'm never working for somebody else ever again in my life. And so, you know, when you're, you're looking, you're barely making any money and, uh, you have these people come to you and say like, here, here's a job. Literally all you have to do is show up and it's yours and all this stuff. And you tell them no. And they're just looking at you like you are the craziest person on the earth. And, uh, so, you know, dealing with that was definitely tough. That was probably the hardest part for me because everything else I could just, um, you know, I spent a lot of time working on my mindset and kind of viewing everything for what it is. So everything else I could let roll off. But when it came to people that I really cared about and I could tell that they were reaching out because they cared about me, it was, it was a tough conversation to have with them to tell them like, no, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. They're like, yeah, but you could lose everything. It's like, if that's what it takes, it'll only be, you know, for this amount of time until it, you know, everything goes according to plan so and they're just like all right whatever have you heard of the strangest secret no something spencer showed me uh by ellen nightingale right am i saying that correctly spencer earl nightingale er, er, earl, earl, Night earl nightingale earl yeah. nightingale that's <laughs> <laughs> his wife <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking of alan watts and, and earl nightingale mixing the two but um Earl Nightingale, Strangest Secret, you know, he starts off with you take 100 people at the age 20 or 25. And, you know, it's, it's kind of the law of the universe. But like by age 25, you know, now you have 80%, you know, who are still going, you have 20% broke, you have five homeless, right? And then age 35, you know, now you have 50 people middle class, you have 30% dead broke, you have 10 people probably dead whatever, whatever the statistics are, but as you keep going, these numbers get smaller and smaller. By the end, you have one guy or one or two people who were wealthy, the rest average middle class. And then, you know, half of them were very in poverty kind of. And the only difference he says between those ones that make it and the ones that don't, the literal, the only difference is the ones who made it just didn't stop trying. And so they set out on a goal and they just didn't stop. They didn't lose hope. They didn't lose vision. You know, they just showed up every day. And that's literally all it takes is, you know, you show up, you schedule the things that need to be done, you do them. And, you know, one day you'll blink an eye and wake up and you'll be exactly where you want to be. Even though I don't actually believe like you're ever there, whatever there is, is not really a thing because you're always right. gonna continuing the journey. So that but, you know, let's say you set a target, you know, in six months, I want to be at 100K a month in the business. 
Well, you do the numbers, you do the math, you write out the, the action plan and you just show up every single day. And if you commit to the consistency in six months, you'll wake up and you'll be there. Um, whereas, you know, let's say you run into hardships, you stop taking action. That's the only difference between getting there and not. Right. And the only thing I want to add to that is, well, first, so the, um, what, what you're talking about of always setting that goal uh, ahead of you, um, Matthew McConaughey, when he uh, won an Oscar, that was his speech about my hero is who I am in 10 years. And then, so that person who asked him like who his hero was in 10 years, like, all right, are you your hero? He goes, of course not. He's like, well, who's your hero now? Well, me in another 10 years. And you just keep doing it and keep doing it until eventually, I mean, never stop growing is the goal basically. Um, but what I want to add to what you're saying about just show up every day, you write out that action plan is, uh, a lot of people, you know, who are in business, got into business or even having some like mild success in their business. What you don't realize is it's all mental. When I say it's 95% mental and 5% tactics or strategies, um, in order to the, the best way to look at it is the person who can achieve or, or sustain those goals that you have in mind to, to, you know, focus on your business and make it run all the, all the time. That person is not you, who you are today. You have to become that person and you have to become that person before you can get all of those things. And, uh, so, you know, ultimately before you do anything, you should check yourself. You should go like you, you were saying that you went into nature and really focused on yourself and, you know, being submerging yourself in, in nature and just going on long walks and stuff. That's the perfect time to like, you know, it, I don't know about you, but it's almost like you start hearing voices and, and hearing things calling to you and you, you start like, okay, well, you know what, normally I was so busy. I, I would ignore it. Well, let me, let me see what that has to say. Like, let me listen to that voice. Let me, uh, go after these things. And once you really start to learn who you are and really lean in on that, that's when you start doing amazing things. So the, I guess what I'm trying to say is you can set the action plans, you can set the goals, but until you get yourself right and get yourself to the person that you have to become to achieve those goals, you know, you're probably never going to get there. 100%. Yeah, if I can add to that, that's well, super well said. I, I totally resonate with that too. And uh, what's interesting is I think a lot of people get discouraged and no matter what the goal is, you know, if we're talking about business ownership or, you know, if we're talking about, it, we could be talking about anything, it could be any goal. But what's interesting is I think people almost create a mental image of what the path is supposed to look like. But the reality is we don't know. No one knows. Like no one knows, like every human has a unique path. There will never be another Steve Jobs, even if you imitate his right. every move, right? Like, I don't know if you, did you ever see the documentary about the woman who was trying to be like the Steve Jobs of the medical world? Did you ever see like what happened to her? No. So gnarly. Oh, we'll have to find the name of her after, but she's in like hundreds of millions of dollars in debt now and major lawsuits, like she could go to prison um, and she was trying to be the Steve Jobs of, of this uh, medical, I forget what it was, they were creating something, um, and I, I don't even know what it was, but she raised all this money, I mean, she, down to the T, like she dressed in all black, 
etc. It's a documentary. You can look it up uh, <coughs> and life changing stuff. But we try to imitate paths, but there is no path imitation. We can learn successful actions and repeat those from successful people, but that doesn't mean the outcome is going to be the same. So right. I think people get discouraged when there's a goal and they try to repeat these successful actions and the, the end result doesn't come about in the same way or at the same speed or whatever. But you as a human, I as a human, Akram as a human has never existed before, depending on what you believe, whether it's reincarnation or not. I mean, that's a whole other topic, but the point is like, whatever you want to say, this life, this moment, this human existence from birth to death for me personally, in my personal view, has never existed before. It's like a unique thumbprint, right? That the universe is just playing out. And the reality is like, if you get discouraged on the path because it doesn't match some mental image that you think it should look like, you're arguing with reality and therefore you're likely going to fail because you're going to give up. There's no such thing as failure. We know that, right? Like right. you literally can't fail. You can only give up because you bought into a story that looks so convincing to you that you actually agreed with it and then you behaved as if it's true. And that's what humans do is we tell stories all day long. I have a story about this. I have a story about him or her or this thing or what this should be or what I am or what I should be. And when I buy into that and I believe it's true, am I going to behave as if it's not true? Of course not. I'm going to behave as if it's true because I believe that it's true. And that's what I think people are getting at when they're talking about manifestation and stuff. It's like, yeah, you're buying into a story and then you believe it as a human and you go day by day thinking about that story and that story reaffirms because you believe the story and now your mind finds it everywhere. And all of a sudden you're behaving in accordance with that. And of course you're going to get that end result. Of course, you know, it's, it's eventually going to end up the way that the story appears to be. So one thing that's really important about the journey is what stories are you buying into? We can't control our minds. Like here's a, here's an interesting question for you, Mike, where do thoughts come from? I don't know. I, what's your answer? Wait, no one knows. Like where a thought comes from into my mind, like if I just have a thought, I'm walking around, I have a thought. I'm walking around, I have another thought. Where did that come from? I know, I know it's up here or maybe not. Right, right. Where my mind is. Where did that come from? Like we don't know. But what's interesting is sometimes we have a thought and then we instantly react to it as if it's true. Right. Isn't it just a thought? Yeah. Like... Yep. Why do we instantly <laughs> behave as if it's true? And then we make it true, right? Right, right. So, and yeah. And to, just to add to that, sorry, Akram, just to add to that real quick, and I don't know who, who said, uh, I can't remember whose quote this is, but basically, whether you believe that you can or you cannot, either way, it's true. You yeah. Know, so. <laughs> yeah, that, that was at one point. Uh, in my bio many many years ago <laughs> but uh to, to actually add to that um something else is like your internal reality your external reality so the world you're living in the environment around you is actually just a projection of your internal reality and your internal state and so something of realizing why you know when i went through those times where the business was kind of previous agency was kind of on a downward trend and i would go out and immerse myself in nature a lot and sit with myself is because I really, in order to achieve true success, you have to learn how to manage and control your internal state of being. Um, 
And essentially what happens, I'll explain later, but really like you're getting all these thoughts and whatever you believe, like I obviously believe in some form of higher power, uh, whether it's God, whether it's the universe, however you want to call that. Um, but I already kind of believe like my destiny is dictated. And so these thoughts I believe come from a power that's beyond me, but a lot of people don't take time to process those thoughts and they let them affect them. They form, they form a quick perception around it. And so in their mind, let's say you get a thought that whatever you're working isn't working out and maybe I have to go back and get a job. Well, if you buy into that thought, you're going to start behaving a certain way. You're going to start actually feeling afraid of what you're doing, not working out. And you're going to start taking actions to search for a job. And I know that because I've been there at one point where I wasn't, I was afraid and I was listening to these other voices rather than just learning how to take care of yourself internally and externally project uh, what you actually want in this world. So all the thoughts that I actually focus on now is about growth, about success, about you know, continuing my education about positive thinking. And, you know, it's a reason why people say like you manifestations real, but it's really just because the, the thoughts you buy into and the actions you take are all dictated around things that are moving you forward. And so, you know, I learned kind of how to process my thoughts and how to stay at peace every single day so that every single day I just focus on you know, the end goal and getting up and, and doing what I need to do to actually get there. Um, and I feel like too often people don't take care of their mental health, actually what's going on up here. Cause like you said, it's 95% in here and that's going to dictate the actions that you take on a certain day to day. So if you right. can't figure out what's up here and, and master your mind, they say you either map, you either master your mind or your mind kind of masters you or something like right. that. Right. Either know how to control your brain and actually use it to your benefit, or it's going to control you. It's going to run you around. And so too many people, I feel like don't follow this voice inside of them. It leads you to all the right decisions. I don't think there is a wrong decision because you would have never known the other side. All those what ifs, right? You don't know what if you only know what you did. And so why would you even bother thinking about the what if it's, it's just this happened the way it is for a certain reason. And yeah, you, your body will always guide you to the next best move. You'll never make the wrong decision. It's right. always just the right decision. While we're on this topic, um, now you guys can tell me if it's not something that you want to talk about. It's totally okay. Um, but because we're on this topic and you know, for the audience here, you know, I'm just being myself. So if I lose anyone, whatever, but have you guys ever experimented with psychedelic drugs as far as how it affects your, your mental, uh, state? I see Spencer, big smile on your face. hundred percent. Um, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of, uh, experimenting with these tools we have on the universe or on the earth or whatever. I'm and glad that you said that they are tools. So many people were like right away. Oh, that's a no. Yeah. They're tools. Use them accordingly. Yeah. And we've been conditioned socially, you know, like, for example, there's people pounding Tylenol and Advil all day and, and taking a bunch of other drugs that are that are certified to be legal by pharmaceutical companies. And, you know, it's a whole other combo in and of itself. But these are extremely powerful institutions. I mean, 
we, you know, we study marketing and psychology and, and human behavior for a living. That's literally what marketers have to do. We have to study markets and we have to look at things, you know, and break them down into little itty bitty things and then build it back up. So we have a good understanding of how people will behave and what people buy and what they don't buy and why they buy and, you know, what's good for them and what's not good for them. And we want to be ethical. So we have to study the ethics of human behavior as well and understanding, you know, it's, it's a superpower to understand human psychology the way that high level marketers do because you could use it in bad ways. Like, yes, we could actually advertise and market in such a way to get people to do things that are probably not in their best interest long term. Well, right. we choose not to do that. But the important part about that and the reason I'm bringing that up is because these massive companies have a lot of power and there's such thing as lobbying. If you don't know what lobbying is, I hope you do by now, but you can go to Google and just type in what is lobbying and type in pharmaceutical lobbying. And there's reasons that these things are, you know, are banned. And there's some good reasons. You know, if everyone was doing it on a day-to-day -day basis, there are, there are people that this is not a tool for them, you know? Right. And if you gotta be called to it, like one thing's for sure, if a buddy's trying to convince you to do it, and you are not feeling internally like, yes, this is the time, you're probably not gonna have a good time, right? right? Because you're not actually buying into it. Like you're not actually there, you're letting someone else persuade you. But yeah, to answer your question, um, I'm a huge fan. I've tried a lot of things and uh, I haven't done ayahuasca yet, but I've done a lot of other stuff and that one's on the, on the near future. What about you, Mike? Um, so all, all I've done was uh, psilocybin um and the first time i did it, it just took a, a small dose and i was like oh this is pretty cool and ended up just laughing myself to you know to sleep actually um for hours i was laughing over nothing everything seemed so funny and then finally i just passed out but the next time i was like okay i'm gonna gonna try and do this in a way i wanted to just you know get acclimated with how i feel and make sure everything i'm like okay i'm gonna take a little bit more um and really try to like figure things out. So I'm sitting there and uh, it wasn't kicking in. And of course, later that night we had a party. Um, so I had a, a bunch of people over and we're all sitting around playing a game. And uh, I, I should preface this by saying, so it, it wasn't kicking in. So I decided to eat, it was a, a bar, it was in chocolate. I just see it, decided to eat the whole bar, which later on I found out is what, um, uh, can't remember who calls it a, a heroic uh, Terrence McKenna calls it a heroic dose found that out later um and the experience was just wild um you know I'm sitting around in this room full of people playing this game and I was able to see everyone like you're saying trying to understand everyone's psychology and, and what they're thinking and why they buy things and why they do things and I was able to actually see that in motion um, I know it's going to sound pretty crazy, but there was uh, some friction between uh, a couple of people there at the party and every time they would go at it, you now they were very, uh, passive aggressive, the whole room would have a red glow to it. And I was like, what is going on? And then it would settle down and people would be laughing and everything was back to like a bluish glow and experiencing this. And I had no idea what I was like. And then, of course, they, they told me later they were making fun of me because I was completely zoned out. But I was zoned into this new dimension or whatever you want to call it. And it's like, okay, there's something to this. 
then that's when I started realizing, okay, I'm going to use this as a tool for what it is. And anytime I feel like I have to, you know, meditation is great and doing things like sitting down with yourself and in a quiet space and just getting back to who you are. But when you have gone so long and you're like, okay, I just need something to kick me back into who I, that will definitely do that for you. Um, wild experience. So <laughs> what, what are your thoughts, Akram? Yeah. Um, actually back to what Spencer said, the fact that it, you have to actually be called to it. Um, my brother's a high performance optimization coach and, you know, he hosts a bunch of retreats. <clears throat> they go down to the jungle down in Costa Rica, you know, do ayahuasca ceremonies and, and all that sorts of stuff. Personally, I've never done those just because I have not felt like I needed it at the time or even to this day yet. Um, but I have obviously experimented with some other things, you know, psilocybin, um, snowboarding actually on that this past winter was an epic experience, you know, way up in the mountains, immersed in nature. And it's, <laughs> it's actually kind of, it's, it's crazy how, you know, these tools, people make them to be forbidden. Like the reason I hadn't tried, you know, stuff like this for so long is one from a religious standpoint, like my parents' religion and the community that I was raised around, just the viewpoint they have on you for trying such stuff is negative. And so I was kind of young, obviously, and, you know, for obvious reasons, being super young and naive, like I wouldn't dare touch certain things, but eventually kind of realized like, it was time I did it. And, you know, one of the best, most healing kind of experiences is that. And, and one other, um, ended up doing MDMA one time, which just, uh, helped me like kind of just realize like what humans are capable of understand your emotions better, understand what it really is to like, you know, be loving, be caring, you know, understand yourself and others around you. Cause it was kind of a, those two experiences were really, really powerful, really healing. Um, but at, nonetheless, everything has a balance. You know, this is a tool. It's something that you do once a while when you feel like it's right. And there is obviously, you know, downsides to it. If you do too much, I know people who, you know, take an LSD every single day for years and years, and now they have no more brain cells. Right. And, and they right. pride themselves. So definitely like, I don't advocate, you know, that you should be doing these things. I don't advocate that you must try anything. I feel like you just do what you feel right is at that time. Um, and then the other thing is something, you know, Jeremy kind of told us this at a mastermind is like, once you're on the right track, once you're on the right vision, um, the reason why he steers away from it. And obviously at one point, you know, was an advocate for doing these type of treatments, but really like it can derail you. Um, there's a guy, Connor Murphy on YouTube, you can go search him up. And before he was a huge YouTube star and putting out really engaging content and went on like a massive experience where, you know, he was doing the Bufo Alvarius toad. Um, you know, I don't know if you know what that is, but essentially it's a DMT or a form DMT, of DMT, a form of DMT. Um, and then, you know, a lot of ayahuasca and et cetera, and essentially lost his mind. Long story short, came back, started drinking piss, drinking semen, you know, telling everyone that he's doing the right <laughs> thing at the time. 
and completely destroyed his YouTube channel, destroyed his vision, you know, made a fool of himself. So there is a downside if you don't know what you're doing, if you do too much, if you, you know, aren't using it as a tool. Um, so yeah, nonetheless, like the reason why I don't, I haven't really experimented with stuff like ayahuasca or anything is like, I feel fortunate enough to have been surrounded by a lot of people who've already went through these experiences, my brother, one of them. And so really what you're using these tools for is the takeaways, the lessons you learn, but I kind of absorbed those lessons naturally by just being surrounded by a lot of amazing people. Um, Spencer being one of them, you know, kind of the guinea pig for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't agree more. (laughs) If I can add one thing too, like, I think what these things are, because most people haven't done them, they, they don't understand like what's happening right? Like, what, like you're on a drug is kind of how most people look at it. And like, you're not in your own mind, you're like out of your mind. But the reality is, it's not really what it is like for, for the person who's called to it and is curious, and does it in a safe place is surrounded by really healthy people, you need, you cannot be around toxic people, like that's right. gonna send you into a bad. And then there's certain ones that you don't want to be in the wrong places. Like, Like, for example, if you take too much mushrooms and you're at a party, like a huge party, right? Like a rave, like some people do that stuff and go to a rave. You can get like anxiety because there's too much energy, you know, going on. And sometimes your perceptions on something like psilocybin or mushrooms is going between hearing, feeling and seeing. And you're you're fully in that whatever that sense is, though. And if you get fully in hearing and there's too much noise, right? you can just, it can kind of overwhelm you. And for the wrong person who didn't do it for the right reasons and in the wrong location with the wrong people, that's going to be overwhelming. And I've seen people, I've seen that happen to people and I've definitely felt very overwhelmed at, at times. And I just have to sit there and go, okay, just like you do with thoughts and thinking, right? Is thoughts and thinking is never going to stop. It's never going to happen. Um, right. But as it comes, you just have to choose which ones to buy into. And you know, there's been, there's been times I've personally experienced where I've had to just sit there and hang on to the thought that I know this is going to be over at some point and it's going to be totally okay. And it was a terrible experience. However, at the very end, what I walked away with is incredible. Last thing I want to say on this is I think when people look at it as like a drug and you're out of your mind, and even what I just said sounds a certain way, but you can't understand until you've done it. It's like trying to say, it's like trying to say that we know everything that's happening here on earth. We don't. For example, a bee can see infrared light. We can't see infrared light. We can't see you or maybe it's in UV light. We can't see UV light. Like literally bees are flying around and through the simulations they've been able to run from the best of our ability to tell is they literally see the infrared light that is coming off of flowers, for example. And that's how they choose which flowers to go to. It's not a smell, right? They're looking at this infrared or UV purple bluish light. We cannot see that an elephant speaks at tones and levels that we can't hear as humans. It's above or below, I think it's below um, our base threshold, right? And that's what I see these things as, is they kick us out of what we're able to usually experience as normal humans and into some of those other spaces where you might not literally, but you might hear, right, what the elephant is saying or, you know, at that tone and you might see what the bee is seeing and a different version of, of reality. It's still reality. You're still there. Nothing's changed. You're still right there. I'm still right there. 
but the difference is I might be able to see something that I could never literally see or feel. It may not be visual. It's all the senses. So like Acker mentioned MDMA, right? Like you feel a capacity of love. You literally don't know is humanly possible. And if you look into someone's eyes, you feel so much love for them that you could literally cry. Like we watched someone at a group therapy session for MDMA. This is when Akram did it. And I've done it many, 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 like too many times count, but in the past, and I don't do it frequently, but it's, you know, it's since I was right, like four, right, right. 14 years old and 30 now, 16 years is going to happen a few times. And we watched this therapy session and this one gentleman, obviously not going to disclose his name for privacy, but he sat on the couch and he was just bawling his eyes out. And we, we were talking to him the whole time, like, dude, what's up? Like, are you okay? Checking in, right? Like, is everything okay? He's like, I'm more than okay. Like, I'm just thinking about my mom and the, and the love that she's felt for me and given to me. And like, I feel that for her now. And I didn't realize it, but I was not communicating with her properly. I've been treating her badly. He called her on the phone. They had a two and a half hour conversation. They repaired her, their relationship. I, I know multiple people have repaired their marriages through these types of things, right? Because you can step out of the illusions or buying right. into on a day-to-day basis. So anyway, I just want to share that because that whole thing with the bees and the UV light, I think it kind of helps understand what's happening, right? Right. And there's, you know, to add to that, um, I, I can't remember who, who said it, but he was saying, you know, there's many people have talked about the veil, that there's a veil over this life that we can't see through the veil, but it's there. And I can't remember who said it, but he said, you know, meditation is one form where you sit there and imagine the veil as a wall, a big wall you can't see on the other side. Meditation, when you do it for years and, and you know, the um, Buddhists, well, that's all they do up on in the uh, temples, you'll be able to see, eventually see through the wall. But when you take certain substance, substances like these, you'll be, it's like jumping on a trampoline. You can see over the wall for a brief amount of time. And yeah, it, it gives you perspective and it kind of grounds you as well. Once you come out of that um, trip or experience, you kind of realize like, oh, okay, I have a whole new understanding and a respect for everything around me now. Well said. You, you know, one thing it's similar to, have you ever seen extreme poverty in the world? Have you gone anywhere where? Yes. Yes. Okay. Where, where'd you go? Uh, well, I mean, because I'm from Pennsylvania, just all you have to do is really go to Philadelphia, city of Philadelphia, and the streets at night. It's uh, some extreme poverty. Like It's, it's crazy. It's you, hard to, to see you as learn, you're, you're walking by. You learn some stuff, right? Like imagine people who have never seen that, how, how they're going to operate on, on the day-to-day basis as a human, having never seen something to that extreme. Like it's hard to even explain, right? But it does something to you. So kind of like what you're talking about, you jumping over the wall, you know, and you're able to see over, you lift the veil. Like in some of my backpacking experiences over 